Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Scroobius Pip and this is Distraction Pieces podcast episode number 30. Um, Thank you for tuning in. And, you know, I need to just say welcome, welcome, welcome again, because since we've added, we've got these new adverts that come at the beginning now, and it's basically a way of trying to monetize across the board. I'm always quite open about these things. I don't mind. I like the fact that we have sponsorship instead of charging you guys. So I don't think there's any shame in that. But the way they work is I record the adverts as a separate thing, and they now get dropped into any podcast you've downloaded rather than me doing a specific one each week. But that has meant that in the last two weeks, I've had a lot of people tweeting me at Scroobius Pipio saying, why have you stopped doing the three welcomes as you start? There's been rumours that because John Oliver has started doing it on um, on last week t- t- tonight with John Oliver, which is an amazing TV show. Check it out. There's, there's rumours that because he started opening with a welcome, welcome, welcome that I've uh, I've backed down. It's not the case. They're still there. All you're doing when you tweet me that is letting me know that you rudely fast forward through the adverts on my podcast, which, dude, that's pretty harsh. You know, I've kind of, you know, I'm out there. I'm, I'm making these for you for free. I'm trying to get people in to, to, to cover the fee, to cover the costs. And you're skipping through them, man. I'm giving you like 60 to 90 minutes. Last week's one with Paddy Constantine was over 90 minutes. And I bet some of you still skipped them ads, let alone didn't go and support the sponsors. So anyway, I'll forgive you for that. But I should quickly talk about another sponsor. That's my label, Speech Development Records. How can you not support that one? It's literally me. It's literally me sitting in my house. That is the label. That's It's me. So if, 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 if you want to support, then go to speechofelementrecords.com and you'll see T-shirts, vinyl. We've stocked up on the vinyl um, and it's the last run on a lot of them. So get that while you can. CDs, DVDs, jumpers, j- jackets, mugs, woolly hats. And if you think it's too cold for a woolly hat, then it's probably time to pop on your barbecue apron, which we've now got at the Speech Development Records store. So come and check us out. I'd also like you to ask you, Again, I mentioned this last week, to check out Mr. B. Dolan. Um, his album is coming out later this year. In fact, a few weeks back, I forgot to mention it. Um, it was the it was the 20th anniversary of Old Dirty Bastards, Return to the 36th Chamber, which is one of the best hip-hop albums of all time. Um, and, 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 and B. Dolan has had this track for a long while that's talking about who's to blame for, for ODB's death. Um you know, if anyone is to blame and if indeed there's actually enough blame to go around for all of us. Um, and he, there was a recording ages ago when he was supporting me, I think on the Distraction Pieces tour in Hull. Um, and it was the first night of the tour and there was a power cut d- during his set. And he did this this spoken word, but it was brand new then. He'd just uh, written it. And it was filmed on the night. So uh, B, B and Strange Famous Records finally put out the video of that Um you know, a couple of weeks ago. So check that out. It's called Who Killed Russell Jones. It's by B. Dolan. I recommend it highly. It's an amazing piece and it just, it wells me up because it kind of, it highlights um, how potentially poorly and irresponsibly the record labels acted, the, the promoters acted, and in many ways the fans acted as we all cheered and jeered as ODB kind of acted crazy and got more and more messed up and escaped the police and got caught in a McDonald's and stuff like that. It was all hilarious and exciting stories, but but that was actually someone's um, downward spiral. So, yeah, check that out. But this week's guest, we've got Mr. Danny Wallace. It's an absolute pleasure to have him in. Um, 
it's, it's another one here where we've not, I've never sat down and talked with Danny Wallace. I've been aware of him and his work for a long time. It's similar to Rufus Hound in this one, as you'll see at the start of the interview, um, where it's so hard to specify what he does. But as you saw, again, with the Rufus Hound one, which is a lot of people's favourite episodes so far, so I recommend you check that out if you haven't already. Um, he's just an interesting dude. He, he he does a lot of things, but he's got a lot to say on a lot of subjects. So, um, yeah, similar here. So I'll be back at the end to give you a bit more information and chat about a few bits so please stick around for that but for now this is episode 30 of the distraction pieces podcast joined by Danny Wallace today. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for asking. I've just realised that I've left tons of reverb and echo on here, so I'm <laughs> going to see... I'm going to leave that on for the moment. Let's see if I can just turn that down. There we like go. It. Give me a sort of a mysterious edge <laughs> that I don't normally have. It was really... That's the most dramatic start to any podcast <laughs> we've done so far. The so, wizards. Is that all recording? Hello, hello? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if I cut us off then. I don't well, know what nice. happened, it's but... Sort of behind the scenes, At least it? the... The reverb has gone. Um, you're the sort of the, you're like the John Peel of uh, podcasting. I really, I, I loved it. This is g- g- going to sound like a horrible plug now, but oh, oh, when my radio show won its Sony Awards, yes, I was there that <laughs> night. It was, it was an amazing night, and it was a surprise. But we didn't expect it at all. And when they were announcing it and doing, because I do an introduction before saying who it is, yeah. and they had the term um, non-linear maverick, which me and my producer <laughs> looked at each other and said, "That's another way of saying just." a bit all over the place and shit, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> yeah. That was the only point. We, thought, oh, we might have won this because they yeah. basically just said sloppy, has mistakes Unprofessional. in it. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Unpro- it shouldn't really be here, to be honest. <laughs> exactly that. The best bit of that whole night, I mean, apart, <laughs> aside from you winning your, uh, your prestigious uh, award for your unprofessionalism, was also um, was Tony Blackburn. Do you remember, did you see that bit? Yeah. It was great because um, what with uh, seemingly more and more uh, DJs kind of, you know, <laughs> sort of being whisked away yeah, in uh, yeah, police yeah, yeah. vans. Um, apparently, whenever uh, anyone would uh, walk into Radio 2 where he does his show, they'd all say, um, hey, how you doing, Tony? And he puts two thumbs up and every day just goes, still not arrested. Wow. I love that. And moment. it was just gold. Was it? He, he was amazing in general. It was just yeah. like, wow, yeah. what a legend. But, but that was a... a the, the, they're lovely and weird nights, aren't they? The those things, yeah. The radio award things, yeah. Because it's think... so. I, I, I really. I'm gutted. I didn't have the balls to do it in, but I did think on the off chance I won, I wanted to just say thanks to everyone. I'm now going to go and give my speech to the people at my table because that's the only ones that care. <laughs> and the build up to any award, everyone's waiting. As soon as someone's won, yeah, the rest of the room generally they claps and then switches off and, and waiting for the next one. And and there's. Their next category might not be for half an hour, so yeah. it switched off. It's, yeah. So did you do that? Did you do your speech to the table? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I, I got. I don't got remember my speech. In the taxi. I, I got a lot of stick because I, again, I, I generally wasn't expecting it, so I don't remember what I said. But I do know that I didn't mention the name of my producer who was standing <laughs> yeah. up there with me. Yeah. So I thanked so many people and Dan Rido, yeah. who, who who said to say hello. In fact, he yeah. said, you oh, know, right, yeah. um, at XFM, and yeah, I, I rambled through, and then it wasn't until I got off that someone 
You did mention Dan. I, like... did, I did notice that. You know, you know why I noticed it? Because you were up there. there were only two of you were up there. And yeah. um, you gave a, a lovely speech. And then you even said, and there's just one person I really, really want to thank. And I could see Dan Reader next to you in his suit. Oh, so bad. And he sort of made a sort of slightly shy face, as if yeah. to say, oh, gosh, everyone's going to look at me now. And everyone did look at him. And then you thanked someone else. Yeah, but the, the thing is, I genuinely thought he was going to get to have a talk next. Right. I genuinely thought that's because, again, it's such... This isn't um, making excuses now, but it was such a collaborative show. He was yeah. so... I hadn't done any any radio b- b- before, so yeah. I rambled on and thought of it as, right, I've had my bit. Yeah. And then it kind of... I finished, they went, OK, thanks, bye. I thought in terms of... Uh, and it was like, uh, oh, shit. Well, in terms of <laughs> award acceptances, I thought it was marvellously non-linear maverick. <laughs> Style, you know what I mean? You've got a very exactly. non-linear. A lot of people go non-linear approach to award speeches. My this guy. style, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who needs a linear narrative on a on a on a speech? Um, <laughs> speaking of of non-linear maverick styles, this is this is the second podcast I've done. I did one with a Rufus Hound, where it was uh-huh. a similar thing. Where I generally kind of go, so how did you start off in? And then say what you're in. Yeah. But you're just in. You do too many things. It's like this. It's so inspecific because you. I, I'd say I heard about you first as a writer and as an author, but also, you know, as a producer, as a uh, a presenter of radio and TV of of so many things. So yeah, I do. Um, I don't really. What do you th- think of yourself as? Do you think of yourself simply sort of as non-linear, as non-linear, non-linear maverick? maverick. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I've always um, my my only approach to to sort of my career, if you can call it that, is um, is go where the fun is. Yeah. Right. And try and do the fun well, so that you then get asked to have more fun. Yeah. And the fun might be over here. It might be a radio show, or it might be uh, an idea for a book, or, yeah. or anything like that. Um, so to try and have fun. Um, but just try and do it as well as you can. Yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, there are people that are going to see it or hear it or read it, and, um, you know, you've got to put the, the time in to make sure it's all right. Yeah, so completely. that's it, really. I mean, um, if a cab driver asks me what I do, um, I always say I work at Argos. Nice. <laughs> because, you know, that kills the conversation dead. They've got nothing they want to ask me. But if they do want to ask me anything about Argos, you, then... Have you got they, the knowledge? Yeah, I worked there when I was sort of 16. I've got a basic understanding of store layouts. You see, if, if I was the cab driver, I'd just, just want to know... What goes on back there? Yeah, you know, there's so much, it's such a mysterious. Well, not anymore. Premise. Not anymore. I went in there recently, and they have um, they've enhanced the consumer experience at oh, Argos. Really? Yeah, they've they've removed the walls, so you can just see people going up ladders and getting boxes. Oh wow! So it's like it's just like a tiny Amazon. It is. I, I can't remember. I, th- I think it's Tom Stayed um, has got in one of his, his his comedy routines and. Being an American or Canadian, sorry, who lives in the UK, yeah. he no, obviously notices a lot of stuff that we just don't see as weird. Yeah. And Argos is was one of them. That it's like, it's a shop where they don't even trust you to look at the stuff or touch the stuff. <laughs> They're basically saying, "I'll show you a photo of it, yeah, and if you want it, you can pay for it. But if you don't, well, like, you're not going near it unless you've." You yeah, pay for exactly. it, basically, which is the most bizarre and aggressive my, my form of a shop ever, right? My wife's Australian. The first time she ever went in Argos, she did not know what was going on. Yeah. So you queue there, you get a tiny pen, you fill something out, and then it arrives on a conveyor belt, like yeah. little magic. Yeah, the the, the 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 idea originally of catalogue shopping was the fact that the catalogue comes to your house, right, and removes the need <laughs> yeah. to go to a shop. Yeah. And they went... Uh, let's do that, but let's just put it in a shop. Yes, exactly. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's what annoys me about Bizarre IKEA, though. But I go to IKEA sometimes, and I go into that big sort of stockroomy bit at the back. Yeah, and I'm lugging some massive box yeah. onto like a little trolley. Yeah, and it only hit me the other day. I'm like, 
shouldn't someone else be doing this? Exactly. Why am I do, Why am I lugging all this stuff all over the place I'm the, just to take it up? I'm the same on self-service at Tesco's. I'm like, I've worked hard to not work yeah. in a shop. Yeah. I've, I've done a lot to not be scanned. And not, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. No. I used to work in a shop. Yeah. But, Which shop you know, did you used to work in? I worked in HMV for years. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, of course. Of course so yeah. I worked hard to get there yeah. or, or to get out of there. I'm not scanning milk and bread no. so there's someone who's meant to be paid to do that yeah. that's part of my yeah. consumer rights and service if you were scanning milk and bread in HMV <laughs> yeah exactly um, be confusing um, times non-linear <laughs> so yeah I've, I've done that all along if if, if, if I'd, I've got uncomfortable with HMV when they brought sweets into the mix they brought the, sweets into the, HMV they have sweets at the counter no don't get it I don't remember I don't that. understand yeah it's I mean they're, they're, they're there now in most stores I really think. sweets yeah sweets just at the counter I yeah. You're definitely thinking of HMV. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, unless, yep, yeah, no, there were definitely people I knew still working there and. Selling sweets. S- selling sweets, yeah. Oh, well, might, unless it was a strange d- drug deal, I missed. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand what was going on. They were yeah. trying to, 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 to get me a good deal in the workplace. Maybe I misunderstood that. Yeah. Um, so you grew up in Dundee, was it? Yeah, first of all, Dundee. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Again, I wouldn't say a place that you that, that that makes you think instantly of media and production. Well, and it's known the as the it's known as um, I mean it's jam jute and journalism. Um, oh wow! And a lot of sort of hardy, hardy, no nonsense Scots journalists um, and DC awesome. Thompson who make you know the Beano and everything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of weirdly the Beano is what got me into. Well, it certainly helped me to understand stories yeah. and um, characters and the pleasure of finding. Sort of little jokes in jokes, and yeah. uh, and and it seemed amazing to me that something like the Beano with all these characters, Dennis the Menace and Nasher, all these things I loved as a kid, were all just born, you know, in the same city yeah. as I was. And then we moved away, and the Beano was kind of a link to to back home. But we moved to Loughborough um, in the East Midlands, a town yeah. where not that much sort of goes on. Yeah. And I had a very very strong Scottish accent. I mean, the Dundonian accent is is yeah. one of the strongest yeah, accents. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all just vowels. Yeah. This is A E I O I. I think one of the, it's got a sentence just made up of vowels, which is if someone's saying, "Have you eaten? Have you eaten tonight?" People reply, "Aye, aye, aye," which means yes, I've eaten already. But it's just I O A O A. Brilliant. And even I struggle when I go back up there. It takes yeah. me a little time to acclimatise. But I lost my accent when I moved to Loughborough because literally no one could understand a word yeah. I was saying. They thought something had happened. To a survival me. mechanism. It was a illusion. And it goes one way or the other. When I moved, I, I lived in the Midlands briefly in, in Wolverhampton, and I found I became more Cockney there. And it, I, I think it was a defence thing of, of yeah. just wanting, you know, I came back home and was talking to my, my mates, and they were like, what? Yeah. When I was being like, no, nah, no, nah, bruv, bruv. It's like just becoming more and more Cockney. How old I, were you when that was happening? Um, so I would have been there, uh, I took a year out after college to to try and live in America and that went horribly wrong yeah. um so 18 I would have thought so your identity 19. I mean you you had your identity you knew who you were and it's like maybe it's a way isn't it of just going you don't want to dilute yeah. who you are and so you go think, the other way I think one of the people I became a, a friends with uh, a guy called Tony was from South London yeah. and it was uh, hanging around with him and being the only person who didn't have a strong Midlands accent, right, that yeah. it kind of it our, our accents kind of melded together. His probably got slightly softer and more Essex, and mine yeah. went more South London. And not, 
I mean, all my all my family are, fr- are from South London, so I think it was a, yeah. I'd love to hear some of your stuff though, but with a Wolverhampton accent. Yeah, oh, imagine it. <laughs> Amazing. Imagine it. The, we were always the biggest fan of of, of Dudley because because Dudley, similar to Dundee, I guess, was the strong Midlands accent. Yeah. Dudley was the really. Yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah, that was fun. So how was it in in Loughborough? What did you? At what age did you move down there and what? I guess I was about, just about to be eight, something like that. Yep. And I don't have brothers and sisters. And so I suppose that the accent got lost just because there was no one yeah. to reinforce that. Yeah, my yeah, mum's yeah. got a very strong Swiss accent. Oh, wow. And my dad's from like the northeast. And so, um, so yeah, I just ended up speaking like a little English boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we moved around <laughs> some more. We moved to sort of Berlin for a while. Oh, and, wow. Um, at what was age great. was that and how was that? It was amazing. It was just as the wall was... Uh, wall had just come down and my, yeah. my dad's a, a big expert in sort of east german politics and uh and literature and um and so we just had to go we had to go we we sold the car amazing to, to strive to go there just to be around just to be around that yeah and um, seminal moments in history yeah he bought a, a camper van we bought a camper van we drove to Berlin and um, when we drove into Berlin it was like it was before east and west had become one and so all the cars near the Brandenburg Gate were all like Trabants you know those um, really people used to save for like eight years to buy them and then yeah. these, these terrible little things it was on the front of the U2 album one of those little cars oh right yeah yeah, yeah. and then when we drove out again a year later all those cars had been replaced by sort of Mercedes and Audi yeah. and all the money had poured in and so it was an incredible time to be there that's amazing yeah and I went I to an American school. I love, I love that as a as as a motivation. I think it's it's so important, and I don't think enough people have that. Um, I always remember I was driving home from somewhere when the um, the, the riots in South London a mm-hmm. few years ago yeah. kicked off, and that was all round where a lot of my family came from. And me and my friend were in the car, and we're like, it was kind of weird. And I just kind of said to him, "I've got to go there. I've got yeah. to." Go and not to yeah. riot, not no, but just giving out free tellies. Just yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Let's go. I, I was like, as we're driving in, everyone's going in the other direction. Everyone's fleeing. It's like, I need as I don't know. I guess I thought at that point, as someone who comments on society and takes in society in, yeah. in the way I write and things like, that, I need to be amongst this and kind of t- t- take it in myself. Particularly as you instantly saw that the media were portraying it quite inaccurately and marking it all as young black kids. And and what I saw there was families and people of all ages yeah. seeing and quite understandably if you're in a high-rise flat and you're st- st- struggling to cover your food for next yeah, week and there's a tesco's literally in eyesight and, and and that was one of the ones we saw it was literally in eyesight of these flats and people kind of you see them at the door and kind of going i don't want to but uh, uh, that's about to all be gone yeah and i need that not, yeah, in the, yeah. not all people just yeah. stealing TVs and no, stuff. Of so it's like, I need that. And the saddest you part was... You would see people walking around. Just, I mean, like, I'm not, you know, in the footage, I mean, yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't there, but you, you'd see people just carrying, like, uh, you know, six packs of Coke and, uh, and, yeah. and crisps and, and or, or, just stuffed tins, cans of actual food. And that should have been, you know... Completely. I mean, Iceland sign, was the it? one that I saw the most people g- 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 going in and out of a big Iceland. Really? And again, another... St- a disturbing thing was the amount of of, of alcohol being the main of course. target. And yeah. that's just a really scary and weird comment on our society, how expensive yeah. that is, but how yeah. how desired it is. How covered so that was a weird yeah. thing. It wasn't all 
again, I didn't see, I didn't cover the whole area, but it wasn't all what I saw. It wasn't widescreen TVs and things no, like that. No, sure. So well, a lot of you it's know, fascinating. Families struggling as well, yeah, isn't it? And it's there. Completely. Um, so you can sort of understand yeah, the thinking yeah, behind it. Yeah, yeah, completely. So, so how was that? Be, were you old enough to take in the experience of being in, in, in Berlin yeah, at, at completely. such a time? Completely. I mean, um, it was an extremely exciting time to be there, obviously, and um, and a period of great change. And uh, 3rd of October, when East and West became one, I was sort of yeah. swept through the Brandenburg Gate at sort amazing. of, you know, close to midnight. And it's, it's an amazing place, uh, Germany. And particularly because, you know, having grown up with my dad talking about all these people, and my dad going to particularly East Germany quite a lot, um, and no one was really allowed in there and especially yeah. someone like my dad you know he was followed around by Stasi the secret police and things yeah. like that and in fact I mean <laughs> it was only I was writing a, a book about that, that covered some of my childhood at one point and um, it was only when I was writing about it that I realised how many really strange things happened because of my dad's right. job and like these Stasi things um, a spy once coming to our house in Loughborough I mean, we're, I mean, I'm 99.9% sure that the German government or the secret police sent the world's worst spy to Loughborough. Amazing. Because um, my dad I had been arranging... Disguised as. Oh, well, exactly, right? This is pre-Google, right? This is yeah. pre-Google. So there's this guy, turns up, and, um, and my dad had been arranging some kind of... Uh, um, uh, event involving a, an East German writer and they wanted to keep their eye on my dad see you know what is this about What's, what are they going to be talking about what's happening here so they sent this guy to sort of find out some more and he turned up and his first mistake was because he didn't know what um, a, a student at a university in Loughborough would have been wearing um, say in the sort of the, the late 80s yeah. he turned up dressed like first of all he was about 44 um, and he turned up in like a really long uh, leather coat. Nice. <laughs> That's the first thing. Nice. Uh, sort of a big Oxbridge style scarf, a bit like <laughs> Doctor Who. And he was carrying like a leather briefcase. Brilliant. Instead of stonewashed jeans and a Frankie Says Relax t shirt or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, his brilliant plan was to say that his name was Frederick, right? Because yeah. my middle name is Frederick. And he was going to say that he was Swiss, not East German. Right. Um, That's clever. Yeah, because my mum is Swiss. But my dad is onto him in a, in a second because he recognises the accent immediately. He goes, are you, from, uh, are you from Germany, from East Germany? And he goes, no, 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 I'm from Switzerland. And my dad goes, oh, my wife's from Switzerland. Where, whereabouts are you from? And he's just like, oh, you know, uh, around ca- capital. And then he came around to our house and we, my, you know, we made him a cup of tea and uh, we left him sitting on the sofa and then forgot, oh, he didn't ask him if he wanted sugar and came back in and he was completely in a completely different area of the house looking at our photos within five seconds. Wow. And he disappeared overnight. And then, you know, some guy broke into our flat who was said to be KGB when we were in Berlin and I came face to face with him. He was just, he didn't know I was in there. And all these weird and strange things. It was a time of incredible sort of paranoia. and That's um, amazing. Yeah. yeah, all these all these uh, strange things. How did you react Coming face sort of, to face, we stared at this man, yeah, who who'd just come into our flat. We'd been told by some other Russians, some mathematicians, to yeah. keep your eye on that guy because we think he's KGB, and um, and we had these like special security keys that you couldn't, you know, um, replicate. They had like yeah. ball bearings and all yeah, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And somehow he got hold of a master key and just walked into our walked into our living room. And but I was yeah. there, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he just said wrong place, and turned around and 
went and I slammed the door shut and I'm looking through the keyhole and I'm looking to see out the window if he's gone and he just disappeared we never saw him again. Wow. Uh, that's because we had a guy next door called Dajicev who was a former advisor to Gorbachev. And so it's like my they Lord. were wondering what my dad was doing with this guy. Yeah. And in reality what he was doing, there was a ping pong table downstairs and my dad was playing ping pong with him. <laughs> that's literally, that was if it. If only they knew. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. So to... it's a great year but I, weirdly I came back with an American, a slight American accent. We're talking about accents again. Oh wow. But I came back with a slight American accent and all these kids uh, I remember they could hear that my accent wasn't quite right and they knew I'd come back from Germany oh, where did you head back to we back moved to, to Bath was it to Bath yeah right? and uh, I just remember these kids Bath. listening to me talking to you like I'm talking to you and yeah. I talked to them for hours and then they just looked at me and they, they, they made a big deal of just going you speak very good English <laughs> and I was like well thanks very much you know try my best yeah. <laughs> they didn't thanks. know where I was from thanks for the compliment I appreciate that <laughs> So, so you're in. It was Bath where you ended. You see, if if that caught you somewhere and you'd said I'm from England, and they said where, and you said, well, you know, <laughs> maybe that's Luff it. Me. Maybe, maybe he was Frederick just a similar was, guy. Yeah, it's just the son of an academic. Yeah, Bath, Loughborough, then the, <laughs> you, you know, know around, around, just around it's just England, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the UK. Yeah. Well, then I moved to Bath. That's where the writing started, really. In yeah. Bath, because um, I was very into video games, and it was uh, the start of Sega versus Nintendo. Yeah. Remember that, and you were in one what team. What battle? Other. What a battle. Oh, what team were you in? Well, I, it, you know, your loyalty depended exactly on whatever your parents got you or if, yeah. you know, you could have yeah. a paper round. And then, then 100% that was true. I even, I've never thought about that. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I was a Nintendo through and through, but that's just because that's all I happened that's to just cause what you got, have at it? the time. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, and that was it. And there were these big battles between kids at school just, like, just going, you know, why have you got a SNES? Yeah. Mega Drive's so much better and all this kind of stuff. I remain the only person in Britain who ever bought a Mega CD. Oh, wow. I had the hardest paper round that I saved up. Nice. Ages. Bought it. It's the worst thing in the world. Anyway. Not that, many games on it, right? That's Either. nothing. It died off. Rubbish. I've still got it somewhere. And my friend James Cosgrove was the Sega guy and I was I was Nintendo. But oh, there was yeah. a it it was a a friendship that we allowed each other to to benefit from. Uh, which sounds it almost sounds like an odd thing. But just the fact that there were certain games that were only Sega. Yeah. And there course. were certain games. I, I actually I studied it a bit more that because I wrote a song with DJ Yoda about uh-huh. the Sega and Nintendo battles. Mario Sonic, um, exactly Mario Sonic. But then the sadness of 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 how it all ended because now you buy like Mario Olympics, mm-hmm. and Sonic's on there and stuff like that, and that used to be the big battle, and I now know. he's just whoring himself out for well, the might of Mario. But the it fact gives is, you hope for the Middle East, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's like it one does. day, we can all come if together. Sonic and Mario yeah. can share a game, if they can get together and, and work it out. But I still, I, it could be because I was brought up on Nintendo, but, but I maintain that any any game ever invented could be improved by adding Mario or a Mario version. Do you think? <laughs> I, I genuinely believe. I remember when... Mario the, Goldeneye. Yeah, completely. It'd be amazing. I remember the first time we toured America and they had tons more uh, Mario games on the DS and they'd like Mario basketball, Mario f- football, Mario, just stupid things. I was yeah. like, I bought a few of them cheap. They were all far better than FIFA and the basketball <laughs> games. On it, I was like, just the Mario edition just yeah. just makes them amazing. Yeah, but stick a plumber in anything, it'll exactly, improve it. Exactly, you know I mean? it makes it Plumbers better. And hedgehogs. So, so what in computer games um, inspired you to start a writing? Well, it was work experience at school, and um, 
yeah, I think I was offered the chance of filing some stuff in an accountant's office or digging some ditches in a garden centre. Wow. And I was like, I think I'll handle this one. Mm. And I knew that there was a Sega magazine in my town, and that just seemed like the most glamorous job in the world. Like yeah, the fact that you could, uh, you know, play games and just write about them. Write about well. it, absolutely. So I sort of inveigled my way in and just, I did everything that needed to well, most stuff that didn't need doing. It's like alphabetizing games that didn't need alphabetizing yeah. and making cups of tea for people who already had them. Yeah. And one day a reviewer got sick and they went, do you want to play this game? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I played it to death. Like, I was nervous. That night, oh. I played it and played it and played it and what stayed up. And, do you remember? I can't remember. It was some kind of platform combat thing like yeah. set in the middle ages or something brilliant <laughs> and <laughs> it wasn't particularly good but I, I did my best and the editor called me into the office and I thought well they're going to say they can't run it and he went do you want a job and uh, oh wow so then I was writing about games and with like these like when I look back on it I thought they were proper men right mm. these guys and they became sort of my heroes and my friends but they must have been sort of 23, 24, yeah. just out of university, just being able to play these games and write. And we were writing stupid stuff. I was going to say, and what a bizarre um, form of, of, of writing in a way that um, the the most of these magazines, the format was, if it was the main game, whatever, there'd be a big review. But then at the end, there's a rating yeah. and one paragraph summing up the game. Yeah. 90% of the people probably only read that one paragraph yeah. that sums up the game. I, I remember I'd, and you know what I'd, I'd be said. looking at all the games and go, I'll read the paragraph on that and then, <laughs> all right, I'll get that or I won't get that. Yeah, it was generally, they were all 65% yeah. and they'd just say, try before you buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it, exactly. That's it. That's the it's most rubbish. A, just, yeah, it's not helping me <laughs> so much. I've got the review. I always remember that there was one time on Sega Power magazine where... Um, Sega Power. Yeah, there's a, a great writer, um, Simon Crook, his name is, but um, I think he'd... Um, They'd scored an exclusive for a game, and the makers, Virgin, were like, really, they were like, this is a big deal for us. We want eight pages at least. We'll give you, the, if you mm. give it the cover and eight pages, it's yours. And it was something rubbish like The Lion King. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it was, it was actually The Lion King. And Simon had gone out, and he had <laughs> indulged in, um, in a few things that right. evening. Yeah. Um, not necessarily just alcohol. Yeah. And then he'd, then he'd sat down and he'd written the review. And somehow this review, and magazines, it takes a while for things to get through. You know, you give it, the production editor reads it, the editor will read it. Then it has to be laid out. People check all the things. So, you know, it goes through a long process. And he had written this review off his face uh, about The Lion King uh, as a piece of fiction from the point of view of a fly that had landed on Simba's back. And the whole review was like that. And it didn't really mention wow. the game even once. And everyone, I think they'd all been out on the same night out. They all just read it and went, yeah, it seems fine, and sent it off. And only when they sort of came to their senses did they realise that in like two weeks this magazine was going to come back and the people from Virgin weren't going to be very, very happy. No, they were going to be confused. And they still, this is maybe 20 years later, um, the guy at Virgin still won't talk to Simon Crook because of oh, the, really? Lion, the Lion King controversy. <laughs> because of the Lion King review. Yeah. Wow. So was it? did it live up to your dreams at that point? Oh, when they took you on as, it was as, amazing. as writing staff it was amazing. and get into... Because yeah. I, I, I guess there's always the, 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 that risk. I remember when I got a job in pizza and my mum was really worried for me because I loved pizza. Yeah. And she was worried that it was going to kill my love for pizza because I was going right. to have too much. Of it course. didn't. No. I, love it. I loved it all the more. But <laughs> is there that risk that when your passion becomes your job, 
that it can stop becoming your passion at some point or that you're going to end up having to play so many shit games that you <laughs> yeah. don't particularly want to play any games. Well, I think exactly that happened. I was playing all these games and I sort of knew about them and I fell out of love with games, yeah. but I kept writing. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, like at, at university or anything like that, if I, if I, if I, if I was even going to go or apply. And I took a year out and um, worked at this company and I worked on like a... A Nintendo magazine, actually. So, I mean, oh, God, look at me, a turncoat. straight in, in, in the heat of the battle. Yeah. Blur, Oasis, Sonic, <laughs> Mario, and then I just I turned on a dime. And then uh, we launched a comedy magazine. Um, they wanted to spread out. And I had, I was really, I was always been into comedy and radio comedy and things like On the Hour. Yeah. And when I first heard On the Hour, this sort of news spoof uh, show, Chris Morris, Amanda Yanucci, and Steve yeah. Coogan, and all these people. It completely opened my eyes to what can be done. And their absolute changing of all the boundaries and yeah. all the lines was just with on the hour and then with the day to day and with everything else. With everything that was just that's like, followed. Wow. Yeah. Just, there's, it, yeah. It felt you can literally do what you want yeah. as long as it's wit and real. And when you've got people like Iannucci and, 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 and Morris, it's like, it's going to be written yeah. ridiculously tight. So you can go on the craziest of tangents and just have a floating head reporting about the weather and stuff like that. And it's like, but it's fine. But it had a logic to it and it had like uh, an identity and you knew it was all going to be quality. And up till then I'd been listening, you know, I listened to Tom Lehrer, who's this amazing sort of, uh, I guess, 1960s satirist and um, pianist and did amazing songs and, Hilarious in, and incredibly intellectual. Yeah, a, a song. He's like well. a, he's like a Harvard mathematician. Yeah. who by night because it didn't pay anything would go out and do gigs uh, yeah. in the sort of satire boom, and um, I had all these. Ta- I didn't really know half of what he was talking about, um, yeah. but I loved it, and I would go to sleep every night in Berlin listening either to Tom Lehrer or to Faulty Towers audiobooks yeah. or Blackadder, uh, and then I heard on the hour and I was like, man, you can do completely different stuff. Um, that is so funny and so kind of just on the nose. And that really opened my eyes. And so I, I, I also kind of got into stand-up and seeing stand-ups in, in, in Bath. And the first gig I ever saw was um, was John Shuttleworth. And oh, wow. that completely changed everything for me that yeah. night. Because, A, I didn't realise that you could see people who you'd seen on the telly. And I'd seen him on this like Saturday Zoo, yeah, this sort of yeah. Jonathan Ross show. And he was coming to my town and I could go and see him. And... I went and I thought it was the greatest sort of night. I was in pain. So I'd go and see more and then this comedy magazine idea came up and so uh, me and a couple of mates just sat in a small office and just created this magazine. Amazing. Which lasted only like five issues. Um, What was it called? It was called Comedy Review. Straight to the point. Straight to the point. (laughs) And um, it was was just on the cusp of taking off. We had people like... Like Rick Mail had, had been into it and wanted to be oh, interviewed wow. for it. And um, and all, all these people, they, they wanted to be in the mag. And then, yeah, the plug was pulled, which Damn. in a sense was probably a, a good thing for me because suddenly the rug was pulled from under me. I was mm-hmm. going to stay there. And suddenly I had I had nothing to do. Um, yeah. Uh, they I maintain that's one of the, the best motivators in the world. Yeah. Essentially boredom. Having yeah. nothing to do, it's like right. I need to fill some time. And you'd had an outlet. You'd had yeah. a way of doing something. Yeah. And it, you know, and suddenly you didn't. You couldn't just make your own. Like these days, you know, you can make your own things and put them out there. Yeah. And, and I couldn't really do that. And um, so I thought, well, I'll go. I guess I'll, I'll apply for university. And I had all these ideas, and um, I wanted to know how to actually make them. So there was like a media course, London Westminster University, and it had all the 
equipment, like proper, amazing radio studios and a TV studio. And they taught you just how to actually make the thing that you wanted to make. I was never good at the theory stuff. I couldn't care less for essays and so on. But I just wanted to have the room to myself, like a studio to myself or whatever, to make something. create. Yeah. Yeah. And so they said they'd let me in. And I was like, well, so I resigned from my job and I got ready. And then they wrote to me and said uh, they weren't letting me in. Oh, right. They changed their mind. Yeah. <laughs> they found a history of KGB and Rensmiles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, it was they just pulled the rug from under me because I'd wow. had a verbal, yes, you're coming to this university, yeah. sort your life out. And then I got the letter going, no, you've been rejected. Because that's what I think with, with... There was a point where I was very much against the arts in in universities and things like that mm-hmm. because, I, I mean, I did photography and I feel when it's anything artistic, you can't be graded on that essentially yeah. so um individual taste and you know there's a different but what i realized really soon and doing photography at university was it's having that equipment yeah. and that stuff at your disposal and that's the same there to be able to walk into a studio radio or television and go right let's try something yeah absolutely uh, let's learn by doing which is a great you know opportunity to get it was the best thing it was just yeah. great to be able to do that and walk so, in and just so use what happened stuff. when they kind of went they waved it in front yeah. of you and then said, no, you can't have this. You, well, you can't to, have this, really. I had, to, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was, was pretty, um, felt pretty lost and yeah. sort of, uh, it's like a, just a massive sort of um, punch to the gut because, you know, you have a plan and you're with a magazine and, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all good. It's kind of what you want to do and you feel kind of fulfilled and that's taken away and then you find your, your plan B and then suddenly that's taken away. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, I was thinking, well, maybe I'll just do what everyone else does and, you know, go and st- study something I've got no interest in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> geography. Yeah, yeah. I could have ended up doing geography in yeah. like Cardiff or something like yeah. that. Um, and I, I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to have it. <clears throat> and, uh, my then girlfriend went, "Don't do this," but I went, "I need to, <clears throat> I need to sort of uh, get this off my chest." And so I wrote him a letter, and I said. Um, you uh, you gave me the impression you let me in and, and now you're not and I've had my rejection letter and I, I remember I, I don't know whether it was like balls or arrogance I think it was just anger I just said I don't accept this and here is why and I wrote this letter oh, that wow. just said this is why you're wrong you've you you know this is why you're wrong and this is what I'm doing and this is what I've done and this is what I want to do yeah and I'm coming and uh, and then they phoned up and sort of went all right Amazing, and so I was in, and um, that's fantastic. It was, uh, it was. I a don't very accept odd. your rejection. Yeah. Um, I'll see you on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but sometimes, I mean, I don't do that kind of thing often. But I just felt, no, this, you know, this is a bit of an injustice here. I mean, yeah, I, no, it sounds arrogant to say, but I was like, so. that's where I, I, I should be there. Yeah. I should be there, and I should be doing this stuff. And I want to be in London, and this is the next step. And so, amazing. So yeah, so it happened, and it was the best thing I could have done, really. Yeah, and that kind of spawned everything after that, that, that I showed because it was at quite a young age that you were producing for, for the BBC for example yeah. I'm sure um, yeah and that, that kind of led to it from that although weirdly that was um, I to get myself through university and to to be able to you know not be selling sweets in HMV yeah, um, yeah. I kept writing yeah. and uh, I would write for different mags and, and the guys I used to work with on the, the Sega magazine had left that and gone into other magazines and so yeah. they would give me a bit of work on like a film mag or, or, or whatever yeah. and it was useful that I was in London because they were all in Bath yeah. and so I would I would do kind of you know quite a bit of writing I did some for Melody Maker and the Perrier Awards in Edinburgh were happening 
and I'd been up there a couple of times and seeing loads of shows and, and, and doing some writing. And they wanted, they needed someone who represented the sort of the, the, the younger element. And I guess yeah. they thought, Melody Maker, that sort of ticks a box. Yeah. And so I went up there sort of as a Melody Maker judge for, um, wow. for that. And there was a guy I was sitting next to who was this older guy. He was funny. He was quite sort of... Um, he was sort of quite a gentle guy, but who knew stuff and had real confidence. And it said that he was an editor um, at, uh, at BBC Radio Comedy. And I assumed that was someone who was doing editing, you know, editing shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which in those days were on, you know, um, reel to reel. So yeah, I just imagined that he was there with a razor blade putting shows together. Well, my, uh, my uncle was the first um, a label manager for Trojan Records. And yeah. when uh, he went home and told my nan... She was so proud of him and so happy, and, and we only f- found out months later that she thought he was in charge of putting the labels on the records, <laughs> but was still so proud of him for, so for, 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 for getting the job because he's the, the label manager. Yeah. Manages the, <laughs> the, the labels. Sort of factory just popping yeah. the labels on. But yes, sorry, because yes, yeah, so oh, well, yeah. it's the weird misconceptions of what a name <laughs> is, an editor. Yeah, and it turned out in this case, editor meant, you know, he was in charge of, yeah. you know, all of all of that stuff. And I, by coincidence, had just applied for a traineeship at BBC Radio Comedy. Amazing. Now, I, when I found out that essentially I'd applied to this guy, I felt incredibly embarrassed and awkward Yeah. because I didn't want him to think that I was being nice or like um, just trying to win him over. Yeah, 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 we'd yeah, been yeah. sort of like, we'd had a pint and all this kind of stuff. So I avoided him. Yeah. At every turn, <laughs> if like he walked out of the toilet, I can't I'd look walk at you in. now. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was just, I felt so embarrassed by it. And then one night during the festival, he um, he phoned up and uh, he said, "I've just been going through all these things, and your name is here, and I've got your CV." And I was like, "I didn't want to sort of say anything." And he said, "Well, you have to come for an interview." And so I went to the interview, and um, you know, I, I I did pretty well, I think. I, I was able to talk about all the comics that I'd seen over the years, yeah. and Shuttleworth, my first gig, and Tom Lehrer, and all these yeah. influences, and On the Hour, and that was why I wanted to be there, because On the Hour was so amazing, yeah. and that's kind of why I went and studied what I studied, so I could make stuff, um, and uh, and they gave me the job. And, um, yeah, and it was, it was great. Suddenly I was in an office that had made all the things that I loved kind of growing up. And, yeah. Um, I immediately didn't want to be in an office, <laughs> but I, I loved being able to there. come up with stuff. And, and, we what, made, we and what age was stuff. that? That was like early 20s, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was early 20s, I guess, 22, yeah. Amazing. Like that. And it was when also I had pals who weren't who weren't famous but who were doing great things and I thought should be. Yeah. And it was people like Ross Noble. Yeah. And it was people like the Mighty Boosh. Yeah. And so that's what I, I set out to try and get away Ross yeah. and the Mighty Boosh and in fact my first day at the BBC I came up with this idea that I hoped would just get us out of the country and out of an office and it was like this thing Ross Noble goes global it was just a good sort of title and um, they immediately commissioned a pilot and so me and Ross were able to go to sort of Poland and Budapest these two kids amazing because we'd met at 18 I love it in a pizza hut <laughs> brilliant in brilliant. Bath and we sat there kind of all day just talking about you know what we wanted to do and um, and all that and we're still good mates all these that's years that's amazing later. And to, and and to get to then open them doors, yeah, just to be a little just, cog in the wheel, yeah. you know. But you know, we made the mighty Bush as well. But again, it was a case of that rejection. Radio Four said, "The I think it was literally this: the mighty Bush is a million miles away from what we want to do on Radio Four. Yeah, and so that was it. It was over. But me and that guy, the editor, John Pigeon, um, we were like, it can't be. It can't be. They are brilliant, and yeah. there has to be something here." And so he found some money, 
from somewhere. Amazing. And it was like a local radio initiative. And so they just went, look, to BBC London, we'll give you this show for free. Yeah. And it's called The Mighty Boosh, and you'll have it for free and you can put it out. And they put it out, The Mighty Boosh. And, you know, if people aren't familiar with The Mighty Boosh, I mean, I imagine everyone is. Yeah. But it's very odd. Yeah. <laughs> very odd humour and programme. Yeah. It's surreal and too zookeepers talking about marmosets and, and particularly on as as i mean i had this s- cds of the original radio yeah. um, series but particularly if you haven't already got that what is now familiar image of noel and of yes. of, of julian it's, it's, like, it's, kind of, it's weirder when it's just voices on a radio well imagine being how, that weird but imagine how weird it is when bbc london put it out not at sort of 11 at night or 12 at night but they put it on at 12 midday on a Saturday, oh wow! Between the sport, so you got all these like cabbies and stuff. Brilliant! They're, they're looking forward to the games that are coming up. La la la! They're talking about it, and then they go. Then someone else goes. <laughs> and now uh, BBC London will just uh, break for half an hour for the surreal zoo-based adventures of the mighty Boosh. And you I know, love it. it's just yeah, it was a bit of a disaster in that respect. But then Radio Four heard it and went, "Oh right, I see. okay, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have that." And then Brilliant. they put it on late at night, and then you know, it became something. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I I love the idea of all those uh, uh, first time listeners just being completely, <laughs> yeah, stunned and confused. Well, angry. Yeah, they I'd were imagine. angry. A lot of them were angry. Yeah, because they're like, well, why have you put this on? Yeah, it's on midday on it's, Saturday. It's three hours until football starts. <laughs> yeah. we, that's all we should be talking Can you about. Imagine we it on in pubs, about zoos, on in pubs, yeah, and suddenly exactly. it's Noel Fielding. <laughs> no one at that stage has heard of. Just blabbing yeah. on about you know parakeets. It's amazing. I remember I saw. And Noel Fielding, before the TV series had started, I'd I'd heard a bit of the radio, but I didn't really know it was it was him. So I yeah. saw him. I'd gone to a charity thing, and actually, it was a, a Ross no- Noble was a, was there as well. But it was headlined by Partridge or Coogan oh, doing right. Partridge, okay. and yeah, there was yeah, like yeah. big names on. But Ross absolutely blew everyone away. But Noel was the one that that no one knew what was going on. He just walked out <laughs> and just had. He just stole the show completely. Yeah. His routine about following a unicorn yeah. and then it being <laughs> it's selling ice cream and just all sorts yeah. of just it was just absolutely amazing. And it was one of them that pre Bush as well. Yeah, of it was course. like I don't know what just happened. But yeah. I'm so glad it did. He's always I'm so I mean, glad this is this has been an event. Like Julian is remains just one of the funniest people. Um, just to sit opposite him and the way he moves his hands or his eyes, it's yeah. all just funny. And Noel has always looked famous. Like when we were making a radio show, we tried doing yeah. it in the BBC in a studio and it just didn't work. Yeah. And so we took it out of the BBC. And again, it was, it was it just, it, they just let us do stuff like this. We just took Amazing. equipment and then we, it was in a, a disused disco in Shoreditch before awesome. Shoreditch was sort of Shoreditch. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was like a dog walking around. There was some girl, American girl, like a model uh, it was always on roller skates and then we were in this this back room which just stank of, I don't know damp or something yeah. and we had to make a studio and Noel went out and got velvet and sort of stuffed animals to sort of soundproof it and we flew Rich Fulcher over from America yeah. with, with we had no money for this show so yeah. we had to sleep on Julian's sofa and just this show was just was kind of just born in this weird, in the Amazing. weirdest way possible. You can still hear that dog in a lot of the takes. Brilliant. A lot of the takes you hear, his name was Red. <laughs> and it's just this weird long dog. And I said, because Noel always looked like he's he's famous or yeah. looked like a well, famous person. he'd arrive person, on the bus. Is, I mean, like that a... was the beautiful thing, though, that on the TV show, that meant it was all that more easy to accept yeah. all the weirdness. Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. right, 
I've obviously not heard of this guy, but he's obviously a big deal, so we'll <laughs> yeah. allow this to happen. Whereas, again, I can't imagine it the first time on the radio when yeah. you've not got that accompanying thing. You're just like, what's happening? What is this? Why is this? I know. I remember playing it to some, <laughs> some of my mates, including that guy, uh, Simon, the uh, the guy who wrote the Lion King thing yeah, off yeah. his face. Amazing. And even him, with his uh, with his mindset, he just couldn't get his head around it at first. It takes a couple of episodes of anything to bed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Amazing. So I think the first time you actually came to my attention and I was aware of, you know, again, looking back, there's loads of things that you were involved in that I didn't realise at the time, but was with Dave Gorman when yeah. he was doing his, his Are You Dave Gorman? Yeah. And he was, you had set him the challenge yeah. and that's where it kind of became where. So how was that? And a, 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 when did that come about? And what was, yeah. When was that? That was like, um, gosh, I guess about what, 16 years ago, maybe? I think it was like 99 yeah, yeah, I think I'd it was around that or early 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 two thousand ninety nine. I think the yeah, show maybe. came out in yeah in the early two thousands and yeah. uh, oh it was it was I mean it was as fun as it as it seemed um, yeah you know doing something a little ridiculous but taking it very seriously and getting the oppor- opportunity to, to, to do so I guess the yeah. fact that it was such a bizarre and strange thing and again as you said with how the Bush stuff happened where you're like they're allowing us yeah. To, to do this was that a similar thing there did it come yeah. from the the book deal side of it or the sh- tv show side or it just as a live show it happened from starting it it happened yeah. from just starting a lot of these things like sometimes people ask me about um like writing or or or, or about how to get an idea away and um and really the secret is the only way to do something is to do it yeah like if you're going to write a book People think it's sort of like um, a completely closed shop or uh, an exclusive club in some way. But all the people who've who've ever written a book, there was a time where they'd never written a book, yeah, and they had to write a book, yeah, for that book to exist, yeah, yeah. And exactly. so it's 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 just all about um, taking the first step and, and doing something. It's what I've always really loved about um, your. Sh- shortlist column yeah. is the fact that it feels like there's so much stuff that. You've just sat down and gone, right, I can write about this. You know, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. so, like, it seems to be able to find stories in so much and in everything. Yeah. And it's that, it feels like it's that act of, right, I want to write. So mm-hmm. I'm going to write about whatever has happened and I'm going to make, I'm going to find the story in it and make it interesting. And yeah. That's it. That's it. I mean, yeah, exactly. With, with something like Shortlist, I was only supposed to write one column and, um, and we've never had a contract. And I've just done it every week for coming on eight years now that's amazing and you have to find you have to keep your eyes open you have to look for look for moments and look for a turn of phrase that someone has yeah. you know thrown your way or just a strange moment or, or or just anything but you can you can write about anything it, because it's all just about life it must be great tr- training and exercise for writing books and everything else to have that regular weekly yeah writing because I think if, if people forget that the brain is a muscle the same as any other part of your, your, your body so you need to to exercise it um I've never been a believer in in, in writer's block and no, I've had yeah, arguments about this and I'm not saying that you can always create amazing stuff but you you always have the ability to sit down and write something yeah so rather than I, I mean I've had writer's block before even though I don't believe in it and <laughs> that it, the reality has been I wanted to play my Xbox more yeah, than I, I wanted to write like, I've got I can't think of anything but you so know I'm what, play that, computer but that's games. part like, of it that's well, part of the process is, yeah. is distracting and actually I mean you know I, I've told this to my wife many times and she finally believes me but if she walks in and I am playing you know 
Xbox or PlayStation or whatever, then that is actually part of the process because you might hit a slight wall or you run out of energy or you don't know where to go. And just doing something else for a bit means that when you come back, you'll have new ideas, a new angle. You won't be lost in the mire of whatever little thing was tripping you up. It won't be a problem anymore. I've I've always found the best way to complete something is to have another job on the go that you want to do less. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, And that's the way I've completed most things whether it be albums or my book or just anything else, it's like if there's another job, because I'm quite harsh on myself, it's like I should be working now. Uh, yeah, but if it's too. like, right, I'll push this away. Like I've, I've had a novel I've been working on for years. That gets pushed away constantly because it's like, <laughs> right. but I'll finish the album first and then I'll finish the yeah, podcast and course, then, then, then this and that. So, yeah. Well, when I first wrote a novel, I wasn't sure if I could write a novel. In part, I wrote a novel to see if I could write a novel. Yeah. And that's that was a very different process for me because in the past I'd have had like an adventure or I'd have I'd have been to some places and met some people and I would know what the story was because I would have lived yeah, it you know course, and now it's just course. right now I have to deliver it in quite an entertaining way if I can and there's no there's no um though there's not a great deal of of of, of looseness on what the story is mm. whereas the scary part with a novel I'd imagine or just from having friends who've handed in what their thought of final drafts of novels and be yeah. told I think we need to change this, this, sure, and this. Sure. It's like if it's if it's a real l- l- life occurrence, that's not as much there because like, well, yeah. no, we can't because that didn't yeah. happen. That's, exactly, well, exactly. Well, whereas if it's a novel, you've got that insecurity of someone might come around and say, "That's not how it should go." It's yeah, like, but that, it can become like a puzzle. That's how That's how I thought. Well, it's funny. It's like with with novels. It's I find a moment that excites me, like a, a, a strong opening. Yeah, and I want the opening to be strong enough that it will spawn new ideas that will get me to the end. Yeah. I'll have an ending yeah. <laughs> uh, in mind. That might change, but I'll have a beginning and an end, and then it's about the middle. Um, yeah. And, you know, it turns out they're quite important, the middle bits. I think but that's where you explore your characters and you have your fun. But I, I, I came exactly up with a, a great way, uh, like a almost a... I've told it to a couple of people. I told it to Peter Serafinovich, and, and, it, and it helped him. Um, a, a technique that can help with writing. Um, Amazing. Which is that... It's such a, it's, what you do is you, you work out how many words you want to write that day. Like, yeah. you know, and it, let's say, I don't know, let's just say 2,000. Mm-hmm. Then you write, you draw four boxes on a piece of paper, and each of those boxes is worth 500 words of the 2,000. Mm-hmm. And that just means that now you've got an actual target for the day. And it means that when you've done 500 words, you can tick that box. And then when yeah. you've done a thousand, you can take the next box. Then you can have a break or whatever. And what you normally find, or what I have found, and what Peter's found, is that something in that process frees something up in your mind. Which it, it, it sort of, I think it begins because you're not as concerned with what you're writing about. It's more just get on with writing. Yeah. And then you'll find that you've exceeded your target for the day and you'll write down 2,000 plus whatever you've ended up yeah. doing. And it's something that just it's seems great. to work for some people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, I don't it, know what it, it is. It's, it's such a psychological thing. I think mm. um, it's, it's you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're changing the focus of your day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to sound like a strange comparison now, but I found um, with running a race, I've been trying to run quite a bit and I found the key to changing my progress there is is listening to podcasts inst- instead of songs because yeah. songs in a similar way give you that 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 break point mm-hmm. so you can kind of have in your head you're running but right I'll do I'll do a one more song and then I'll stop yeah. whereas a podcast because it continues on yeah. you don't have that easy option of I'll stop after this yeah, so yeah. It's, it's kind of the yeah. opposite of of that in a way of that kind of not 
you know, them tick boxes a work to drive you on, but with, yeah, just with a podcast because it's 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 never ending. You yeah. don't have those those gaps yeah, to kind exactly, of to, to give you an excuse. Yeah, I see. Yeah, no, completely. And there's, and there's shorter gaps as well. But I mean, it's a similar th- a thing of of, of 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 tricking your mind again. Yeah. I think so many of these things. It's it's all willpower. It's all that determination to get through. Because as I said, you you can't definitely always write well. But I mean, I always found. Um, when me and, and, and Dan the Sax started off, we had we had, had loads of hype off of our first single and had a lot of meetings and stuff in London. And at that point, he was qu- quite regularly late. And I'm I'm early for everything. I'm terrible for it. So it's my weakness as much as anyone else's. But um, it was quite often late. And I kind of said, look, because my psychology on it was when you worked in a job you hated, you were up at six o'clock every day and you were in at eight and you, 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 yeah. you, you, you know you're never late N- now you're doing the job that's your dream yeah. you're going oh chill in bed a bit longer yeah, exactly. and it's, it's similar with that on, on writing it's approaching writing as right no imagine you've got a boss yeah. and you <laughs> yeah. have to do this t- t- today it's not an option in, yeah. in you your, need to be disciplined you in jobs you hate it's never an option it's yeah. always I have to go in Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can't help this I have to go in yeah. it's, it's work Yeah. whereas you suddenly have a job that's your dream of, of writing a novel or making music or whatever and you can suddenly go oh, I'll take today off yeah. Yeah. that's so weird that's such yeah. an odd psychology isn't it, it so is. I guess it's, it's re- readdressing that with targets and blocks to say yeah. right here's my daily that quota sort of that weird Catholic guilt as well without being a Catholic yeah. of um, right I need to do this and and you have kids now, and so you you know there, there become other you know reasons for doing it. But you mentioned um, like like running and listening, um, yeah. and I've been sort of I've been doing a lot of walking, and I walk. I try and walk everywhere. Like I walked here today from yeah. from from sort of North London. It's like you know it's not 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 far, but I do it to sort of notice more stuff as well. And so it's lovely, I was particularly walk- in London. There's oh, yeah. so much that you can can miss and not appreciate. Exactly, but it'll be little things, and everything's got a story to it. And it'll be just like it'll be the name of a street, and you're like, well, how did yeah. that get that name? Or it'll be the name of a pub. Or I was walking my my baby daughter around a park recently, and um, you know, you go round and round the same park, and I noticed on a bench there was a, a name, and it was an unusual name, and I've been looking at all all these different names and kind of finding out the stories behind them and who they were and, yeah. and why this bench was deemed important to the family, you know? Maybe they came to the park or maybe they were born yeah, here yeah. Or, or what is it? And obviously a lot of them are tinged with real sadness and, and tragedy and there was one name that stood out and it was um, Mortimer Ribbons. Wow. I was like, who's Mortimer Ribbons? And he's got a, a name. He's got a plum bench as well. Yeah. It's right opposite the ducks. And, and so I Googled him and I found, as I was walking around the, um, the park, I found like a YouTube video of Mortimer Ribbons. And he was on stage in some sort of uh, basement club somewhere. It looks like Soho. And he was doing uh, poems. He was doing some of his poetry. And so I walked around the park listening to the poetry of Mortimer Ribbons, like from his bench. Yeah. And um, I felt like I was remembering someone I didn't know. Yeah, and I felt like it was like it was like walking around with the ghost of of this yeah. guy, and and he was like narrating, and I was getting a sense of his life and his park, yeah. and um, and it was really, and and that really struck this uh, kind of emotional chord with me, where I just thought I need to notice more, Ooh. I need to not just walk past buildings, I need to look up because when yeah. you look up at buildings, you see what people hundreds of years ago saw. They never changed the, the tops of buildings. Bit, yeah, was would you have? allowed yourself to accept it if the poetry was shit 
Would you have would you have would you have gone it's a beautiful it's emotional a moment. moment, but damn, this guy wasn't good at poetry. Well, it was, uh, it was, you know, uh, I was like, I was willing myself to love it. Yeah, um, exactly. Because that, that, of the moment, because yeah. that moment is so special. <laughs> yeah, if it's then yeah. shit poems, yeah. it's like, I mean, oh, I, you know, I, this bench. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose his poetry to read out at an important event, uh, maybe. But, but it's it, perfect, was, it yeah. was nice to, and it was again, nice to be there for him. Because again, that's probably that's that one moment as small as it is and as personal as it is, that one moment makes the plaque being on that bench yeah. 100% worthwhile. Because one person so. has then l- l- looked up who this person is and yeah. appreciated them, who would never have, you would never have found out, they probably would have n- never crossed your path, yeah. you know, at no, all. absolutely. So. Yeah, we wouldn't. And, you know, and uh, and maybe people listening now, someone will yeah. Google him or, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, I think I'd like a, I think I'd like a plaque on the bench one day. Yeah, yeah. Have you got a, a bench After in I'm mind. dead, obviously, yeah. you know, I don't want to do but it not now. prior, that'd be... Terrible advertising. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what we spent the budget on, we just put a plaque on a bench in a park. <laughs> Saturday night, 8pm on... <laughs> That's the only advertising. A nice gold plaque. Yeah. Um, so... Every week in shortlist. <laughs> yeah. You see, that's good. At least it's, it's, it's repeat viewing and, re- yeah. and repeat custom. Um, so have you, is there anything else you, that's jumped out at you? So, since you've decided to walk around and notice more or is that the kind of thing that now works perfectly to go into your shortlist um, I thought about writing about it I thought about writing sometimes I write about you know things that I try you know I try and I try and keep them funny but yeah. um, every now and again I, I, I mix it up a bit um, mm. and maybe that's something I'll write about but it hasn't quite like I haven't really told anyone about it I've told yeah. you about it and so Certainly. I guess the way I guess it has to form in my mind yeah. and become yeah. an anecdote you know Completely. Um, so, so I want to. I mean, we're getting almost up to, up to the hour mark, but I want to talk about um, a writing in general because yeah. you've done an awful lot of books. So your writing technique really works. It's <laughs> yeah. proven. Um, and I want to uh, talk about radio. Yeah, sure. So, so which one would you like to hit first? Whichever I'll let you, you want. pick. Which, no, well, uh, no, you choose. Um, well, I mean, b- b- books. It feels like a a great way to go. Um, sure. What? Because a, a, a lot of your books again come from choosing something to do and yep. choosing a task and and yeah, just going out and uh, is it a case of sitting and going right? What do I want to do or what do I I want or what path do I want to set myself on to get the experiences that are going to be worthy of of a book? You have to um, if you have an idea that excites you, and that immediately in your mind it's almost like a spider graph of oh, this could happen or this, you know, yeah. just it seems like endless possibilities. Yeah, um, and lots of people have those ideas, yeah. um, but then don't do it the next don't day. Act upon them, yeah. And you know, you you have to again. It's that thing. The only way to do it is to do it. And with something like I, I wrote a book called Join Me, which was about a, kind of a really special time in my life where uh, I got people to join me and people didn't know who they were joining or what they were joining or why yeah. they were joining or what joining meant and I didn't know either. Uh, and did, I, uh, did you you started this with an advert, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Join I, me. I read about this. And um, it said, send one passport-sized photo too. And then my address. And the idea of the passport photo is that it's putting your faith in the unknown. Yeah. 
anyone these days, this was pre-MySpace, pre-Facebook, mm. pre-Twitter, anyone these days can join anything they want with a click of a button. You can like yeah. something, join it. It means nothing, and really. With, um, I was going to say, and we're far more casual yeah. with it now. There's, there's, there's far less now, fear right? of, yep, that's that. Yeah. Just clicked. So Clark's ended up with a million signatures away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah. yeah might as well. Um, and it's, uh, but you couldn't do that back then. And, and, and I wanted, uh, like, someone to do a physical thing. Um, have a photo taken or find a photo. Put it in an envelope. Find a stamp. Uh, send it in the mail. Hmm. And have faith in whoever was going to receive it that they weren't going to do bad with it. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's sort of uh, quasi-religious. Yeah, sort yeah, of. It's yeah, belief of course, in, yeah. in, in, in the unknown and uh, in, in someone else. And, and I, uh, I mean, I, I love the fact it is, as I said, I think it's essential and what makes... The idea work and beautiful is that it was a, f- a physical thing. Yeah. Because I think, as you touched upon with Clarkson, now I was, t- I was discussing this uh, the other day that the online protest or yeah. online petition has killed the power, in my opinion, of petitions in any way. Because the fact that people started a commission, a petition to stop Kanye playing gl- gl- Glastonbury, yeah. shows a gross misunderstanding. Yeah of what petitions are for yeah. and what you're actually entitled to as a human. Yeah. Like, you've got no right to tell a festival owner who they can. Or, like, it's fuck all to do. It's like yeah. you, you it's, can return it, a ticket, you can buy a ticket or not buy a ticket, but yeah. we have a weird entitlement now of, course of yeah. all sorts of stupid things. It's like, no, you're, you're, you're winning your right to be annoyed by that. Yeah. But it's also fine for you to be annoyed about stuff. And yeah. I think well, I remember also, there, there should be a Stephen Fry saying that, of saying... I don't care that you're offended. You're, yeah. you're in your right to be offended, but offence isn't something I should necessarily avoid. Yeah, it's another reaction. It's something that's that's going to happen. Why should you go through your life never being offended? Yeah, you're robbing yourself of something in a sense. Yeah, you know, you're robbing yourself exactly. of an experience. And what right have you? I've, I've told this before, but it, it really highlighted it for me. I had someone on on Facebook once. Um, a message me genuinely saying, "Hello, I'm a big fan. Um, I each." I live in Australia. Each time you post, um, a notification comes to my phone, and because of the time difference, they're coming up at night and waking me up. So, uh, <laughs> uh, would you mind n- not posting so much um, at the moment? And just the amazing yeah. entitlement there. Yeah. It, it wasn't a joke or an irony. Off. Exactly. The amazing entitlement of this is annoying me, so I feel I can approach you yeah. and ask that. Yeah. But yeah, that just highlights how how little the digital means now. Of course, no one well, would have gone to trouble of writing a, a, a physical letter no. to make some kind of to make such a ridiculous. Or if you did, you would have got to the point of considering, hang on, this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It's too easy. That's yeah. the problem. Exactly. And everyone wants to make stuff easier, and sometimes you shouldn't make something easier. No. You know, you see, if you make it a bit harder, someone will have to really care, and they'll have to have really thought and about that's it. Completely, and have to my do fear it. with everything. political these days is I think we've got to a point that the powers that be are just in the best situation because there's so many means to appease your anger you can (laughs) post something on Facebook and go right I'm not angry about that anymore Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any difference at all you can like something you can sign an e-petition and it appeases your anger and stops you getting angry enough to go out in the streets and do something about it or to rise up in some way because there's so many ways now to go Oh, that's my stress gone. I've clicked a button. Yeah, I've I've done an angry Facebook post. I've <laughs> I've shared a stupid a Facebook thing that's saying if enough of us share it, then um, Gove has to live on fifty p a week for yeah, a year. Yeah, so, yeah. Again, it, it's not reality. No. It's not reality. If everyone <laughs> in the world sh- signed an e petition to say that I have to eat 
broccoli tomorrow. <laughs> I like broccoli, and I wouldn't touch the fucking stuff just to show how yeah. little it means that a million people have clicked to think you don't have that control over the rest of yeah. of the world. But, but then you're losing out because you're depriving yourself of iron. Yeah, I'll have it tomorrow. Or the day after. I'll have it the day after. It's the same with pancake day. I won't do it. (laughs) I will have a pancake any day of the year I want, but I will not be told when to have a pancake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so the the physical act of getting people to send a photo meant that bit more of that commitment and just to the complete unknown. Yeah, yeah, faith. Um, And I didn't know what I was going to do with people if they joined. And I ended up with a lot of people. And at one point, I remember, I still had nothing for them to do. And there was one person that just, they lost they lost faith. They were like, this is stupid. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, why have we joined this thing? There's like a forum on a website. We don't know what we're doing. This guy's got no idea, blah, blah, blah. And they went, I'm out. And I thought, this is the moment. This is the moment they're all going to go. They're going to see through it. And yeah. they're going to realise there is nothing there. There's no philosophy. There's no wisdom. There's no direction. Mm. So I... I thought what I'll do is, well, I'll give them something to do and I, I could make it for mischief or I could do good with it. And I thought, I'll do good with it. And uh, it ended up being that people had to commit a random act of kindness for a stranger on a Friday. And amazing. they became Good Fridays. And all these things, amazing things were happening um, yeah. all over the world, uh, you know, some months later. Like, great things. Um, and also, you talk about... The idea that you know that you have a path that you go down with a with a with a, an adventure like that, but there'll always be things that happen that you can have no control over, and that take you by complete surprise. And the yeah. best example of that for me was some of the, the I called them joinees. Some of the joinees um, were meeting up. I saw on the website they were meeting up at Hyde Park. And I was in a bit of a panic about this because I was like, they're all going to talk and they're all going to be like, you know, this is stupid and what what is this? And they might try and take it off me in some weird yeah. way. Yeah. So uh, I found out where they were meeting and I got a, a motorcycle courier um, to go there and to find them and to hand over a package from me, the leader. I'd start calling myself the leader. They'd start calling me the leader. Brilliant. And in the package was a disposable camera and a dictaphone with my voice on it. And I was like going, Joinees, it is I, the leader. You're uh, <laughs> putting on a voice like that. You know, Brilliant. I lost myself. And uh, I said, here's your thing for today. Just go out and make an old man very happy. And so they ran around Hyde Park and they were making an old man happy left, right and centre and buying them cups of tea and ice cream and all that. And at the end of the day, and this is where the sort of the unpredictability of it all comes in, they saw this one old guy and he was sort of shuffling into a pub and he had uh, like a shock of white hair and uh, a blazer. And they just thought, should we do one last one? So they went up to him and they said, look, we're from this thing called Join Me. We don't really know what it is either. Um, but we're just wondering if there's anything we do to make you happy. And he sort of looked up at them and he went, I don't think there is. And that's sort of a weird thing to say. It's like, you know, mm. you can't do anything to make me happy. And he said, look, my, my, my name's Raymond Price. My car's broken down. I've got to get back to Devon. Um, I'm just sitting here with a last pound, having a half a lager, thinking, what am I going to do? And they went, I think we can help. And so they pulled together and they bought him, you know, a sandwich and enough money to buy a ticket home back to Devon. Amazing. He was delighted and he took a picture with them and he recorded the message on the dictaphone. He said, it's like angels being sent into my life when I needed mm. them most. And uh, so I, when Join Me grew, I thought, I want to write to Raymond and tell him what happened and that we're now doing good deeds for everyone. And that moment was sort of a seminal moment yeah. and it proved that it, this works. And the letter came back. It said, not known at this address. And I was like, oh God, I hope he's all right. Or maybe mm. I got the address wrong, but the address was right. And... Uh, so anyway, I put it on the website. I said, look, here he is. Here's his picture. His name's Raymond Price. This thing happened. Um, you know, thanks, Raymond. And then about a week later, I got a, an email from someone going, I see you're looking for this guy, Raymond Price, Timothy and Devon. And I wrote back, I went, yes. And they went, I'm looking for him as well. And here's why. 
and they enclosed the newspaper article, they attached a newspaper article, and it turned out that out of all the millions of people that they could have bumped into, all the hundreds of old men in that park, mm. at that exact moment, at that precise time, they walked up to one of Britain's most wanted con men, who for decades has been going up to people going, my name's Raymond Price, my car's broken down, I need to get back to Timoth and Devon, I haven't got enough for the train ticket, Amazing. and scamming people out of money. And uh, so they just happened to be his latest target, but it led to it the birth inspired of something really good. Thing, yeah. And it wasn't for years, but uh, I was walking through Soho and I heard this guy sort of mutter my name. And sometimes that happens, you know, yeah. someone, you know they just want to say your name and then you go, hello. Yeah. And I heard someone go, Danny Wallace. And I looked around and I was like, that's him. It's Raymond. And we sat down and we had a few pints. I paid. I was going to say, who paid? <laughs> and um, we just laughed about the whole thing, about the whole amazing thing. And he'd actually, he'd gone inside shortly after and, and someone had rejoined me and gave him a copy. And um, he said, uh, it wow. made me give up that scam. It made me give it up. And I was like, well, yeah. that's great. So you're all just, you're straight and narrow now. And he was like, no, I've got a new one. I've given up that scam. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's amazing. And I remember seeing a lot of things born out. And was that... Did that then lead to an, another book, didn't it? Was because you had one just uh, yeah, just like number of nice things for, to do, yeah, wasn't all it? these kind of things, and, and um, you know, I've always found writing to be fun, and it comes quite yeah. naturally to me. And my rule is, I think, like you, um, is write like you speak. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Although I do, you know, I chuck in the odd posh word just because yeah. you know you got to look like a writer. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> um, so I mean, I remember just seeing small things as well, like people putting. Um, an envelope of money on a, yep. a, a, a vending machine yep. and saying have one on me and, yep. and things like that and I think that was the, the the ones that struck me the most were were them ones where you don't see the result if you know what yeah. I mean it's they're, not that instant the, gratification yeah. it's not that going because again I've got a lot of weird views on on charity in, in, in general and the fact that so much of it is um, you're actually you're paying for a service. Yeah, you, you, you're you're buying the right to feel like a nice person and yes, to feel, course, you know. In, yeah, in, in, yeah. And again, it's fine. I understand that, but I think it's it's grown hugely in recent years where there's pressure to do charity stuff like yeah. the, the ice bucket ch- 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 yeah, challenge, yeah, yeah. Or all these other things that become huge social ways of saying, look at how nice I am. Yeah rather than actually caring about the actual calls or it being a personal thing to you. And then, again... There are, de- it, there are definitely people it, who do it, it for it that reason. It just scares yeah. me. The damnation of those who don't is what scares me. Well, I had a The fact terrible. that you've not done this means you're horrible or even... It's like, no, I might have done stuff, but privately. Yeah, exactly. It's not, no not publicly in everyone's face. It, I, had a, I had one of those charity muggers. Uh, yeah. I don't even know what they're actually called. Everyone just no. calls them charity muggers. Yeah. I guess street that team. Probably like street, street team. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was uh, hailing a cab. I was in a hurry. I had to get someone. I thought, I'd just I'd get a cab. And I hailed the cab, and the cab was slowing down. And then one of the guys just came up with a clipboard and the, mm. like a bright red jacket or something. And he just went, um, sorry, sir. My car's broken down. (laughs) (laughs) But he just went, "Uh, hi, uh, I I can't remember what it was. It wasn't this, but let's say it's, you know, it it was was, uh, uh, African orphans, let's say it was. It wasn't that, but, you know, let's say what it was. And uh, he went, hi, and just, uh, would you mind, uh, you got a minute? And I went, ah, look, I I was trying to be really polite. I just went, I haven't, you know, I've I've got to get somewhere. And and the cab just slowed down there. And I went, I've really, I've just really got to get in this cab. Mm. And the guy looked at me and he went, yeah, well, I'm just trying to save a life. 
And I was like, whoa, well, God. Yeah. I'm, you know, by getting a cab, I'm not not trying to save a life. Yeah. I, you know, I try and do yeah. loads of stuff and, um, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and help wherever uh, I can. Uh, uh, there's a great Aziz Ansari bit. I'm just again a comedy nerd here, just yeah, just yeah, reference yeah. those yeah, bits. But where he's saying he got stopped outside um, um, a, a Jumba Juice, and someone was like, "Have you? Can you spare a minute for gay rights?" And he says, "I'm just going into this Jumba Juice. I can't." Blah blah. And the guy got angry, yeah. and he's again he clay. Obviously, he didn't. <laughs> the yeah. story he turns around and goes, "A guy that works in that." Jumbo Juice committed a hate crime, a gay hate crime on a friend of mine. Um, so I'm going in there to shoot him, and oh. I've got another gun. Have you got a minute for gay rights? <laughs> just, just a beautiful kind of saying. You can't assume that just because they're not signing yeah. your clipboard that they're yeah. not they're yeah. not making action. But I always like that Jimmy Carter. He goes, um, yeah, I was walking down the street, and uh, a lady came up to me and just said, "Have you got two minutes for cancer research?" Uh, so I said, uh, "Yes, of course, yeah," but I don't think we'll get much done. <laughs> It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Um, so yeah, m- uh, m- moving on from my seeming repeated hate of charity, it's not the case. It's just is I don't believe in the way it's turned or yeah. what charity's turned into. Um, yes, man was the one that got tons of attention and the idea yeah. of it and everything, and obviously got turned into a mm-hmm. huge Hollywood film. Yeah. Can we talk a bit about that and where it took you and what the initial idea was? It was just to say. A yes to things more. Yeah, right? I'd been I'd been saying no a lot. I think a lot of us do that without I really realizing. Oh, when I heard of of the idea of it, it was a real realization of there's so much that my default. And again, I don't think I've completely corrected it, it now, but I've got a lot better. But the default is no, I, no, I can't. Yeah. No, no, yeah, that's what yeah, we do. Coming out like no, I've, no, I've, rather than thinking of a reason not to, yeah. you're thinking of a reason to. It's like, like rather than saying, well, can I? You're going, well, no, I can't, and this is, exactly. I'm sure there's reasons, I'm sure. And if you remove that, that immediate block, if, you're yeah. like, if you know that all your all your answers are, are set for you, yeah. it's, it's, yes, you're going to be much more open, and you're going to have experiences, and, and you are as likely to meet the love of your life at a bad party as yeah. you are at a good one. And yeah. I remember saying that to someone, in fact, someone who, um, one of the producers of the film, and she's, you know, she's a, a close friend now, and she had been saying no, a lot you know and she'd been invited to a party that was miles away mm. and she was gonna have to like change trains for and all this kind of stuff and she couldn't be bothered and and she was working the film and she thought i should say yes i should i should i should say yes and so she said yes yeah. and she went to that bad party and it was a bad party and she was sitting there and it was sort of late and she was talking to some guy about some obscure film star from the 1940s and suddenly she heard this voice to her left this gravelly manly Mm. Clooney-esque voice just saying and it sounds like I have a film itself just saying I've waited my whole life to hear a girl like you say a thing like that and he sat down and introduced himself and now they're married and they've got a kid amazing and it's all from a yes a yes that she would never have said her life would have continued she'd be perfectly happy or whatever but that big thing wouldn't have happened. And I think yeah. you can trace a lot of the things that happen to you in life, the good things, back to a yes. Yeah, Thank yeah. God I did that. Thank God I went there. Thank God I met him. Yeah. You know, um, It's a very powerful word. No is a great word as well, as I've, yeah. you know, I've reclaimed that. I say that <laughs> quite a lot now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the process was great. The experience was amazing. Um, uh, I got to go out there. I got to hang out. And I was going to say, how, much, how great was your involvement? Because, again, I know a lot of times when some, a film comes from a book the writer is then taken out of it a lot, but given that you had experience in producing in TV, in all sorts of things, I'd imagine 
you well, you just try not choose to, be, to remain uh, so in, yeah. involved, and you just try and get on with people as well, yeah. and uh, and you have to understand that they are there doing a job that you can't do. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so uh, so they were very very welcoming to me. Also, my trick was, I I sold it to the to the company who who was the nicest. Yeah, um, who I felt That's were great. like good people. Yeah, and who got the spirit of the book and the spirit of the idea and 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 as proved it went on to you know she went on and, and lived it a bit yeah so i went with the people who i thought were the nicest yeah and, that's great and they were the nicest and they really looked after me and they flew us out and you know i got to hang out on set with jim carrey yeah. doing his stuff and, and and just have great chats with him amazing um, and uh i always remember just before i flew out there i was watching a, a jim carrey film and you know at the end, they often have sort of bloopers and yeah. just him mucking about and making the crew laugh. I was like, "My God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see that. I'm gonna see those moments that yeah. you don't really get to see very much." And that's what really struck me was just him on set mucking about, yeah, being Jim Carrey he's, and doing great stuff. He's amazing. Um, I remember I was, I was in a, a room with him once, like he was just in a restaurant, and yeah. I didn't really realise how much of a Jim Carrey fan I was until he was sat there. <laughs> yeah. It was like, "Oh my God, yeah. he's, he's there!" But my brother and I have had this thing for years of trying to find... I mean, we do it as five years, but what actor has had the best five-year period oh, yeah. at okay. any point? And there's tons of different options, but if you look at the best 12 months, mm-hmm. you can't beat a Jim Carrey's first year. The Mask? Because he came in with The Mask... Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber. Wow. And maybe... I think Cable Guy was just after that, but all of these were within... Wow. One year, if not two years. That's amazing. And it's like, that's you think of that as a spanning career. Yeah. But these were bang, bang, bang. And suddenly from hits. nowhere, Jim Carrey was the best and biggest thing yeah. in the world. And those three films bought him the right to do Cable Guy, which was a darker, yeah. weirder yeah, sort completely. of thing. I guess it didn't do as well, but it was. it's still it's a great it's completely, film. I, I can't f- find anyone that, that, that beats that. For one year. In the five-year thing, we often end up looking at, I think Brad Pitt's always in there. Uh, Tom Hardy um, had a great r- a run of things. There's, yeah. there's a load that are nice to be in there. Bradley Cooper's again, doing pretty well yeah, in the five yeah, years. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, he's, a, he's a three Oscar nominations. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, he was in Yes Man. He's definitely in there. Oh, was he really? Yeah, he was uh, He was great. He was just a really lovely, really lovely man. And he was, when I, I used to present the breakfast show on XFM and he was my first guest. And he was my final guest. Wow. So he's sort of he's been this figure in my life for a for a while. He's he's lovely. He's also, I mean, he's like quadruple threat. He's uh, I mean, he's incredibly good looking. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly nice. Mm-hmm. He's funny. Yeah. He's extremely smart. Yeah. He's going to be a director. He's going to be like an Eastwood style. You know, he'll he'll do his heartthrob days and then. I would say he he's got to be in the top five just men yeah. in the world and and, and he I'll, speaks I'll French. give you the reason for that that's exactly yeah, it. I remember exactly. seeing that interview where he just speak oh, my girlfriend speaks French yeah. fluently I can say about two phrases and I struggle <laughs> with them and I yeah. absolutely butcher them and um I'm 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 a straight guy but I've always been very adamant that I can appreciate yes. an attractive man I've always said I'm not gay but that's could just be through chance. I've yeah. not met a guy I'm in love with yet. You know, you <laughs> never know. I've not, I've not met a guy I'm sexually attracted to. But Bradley Cooper just casually chatting in French, being all handsome and being yeah. all charming. With God, damn, that no guy. effort going to that French either. Yeah. It's just like 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 he's speaking English. That's not the like moment. other people who it does feel like oh they've, yeah. they've learned a few phrases. Him yeah. just being 
and leaning casually. Exactly. It's obviously it's intended. Lean. It's the casual lean as yeah. he's and it's almost like a mumble. It's like a mumble. That's the moment. I was like, yeah, he's won. Yeah. yeah, he's one. He had all that other stuff as well, but you know, uh, you know, I can do a few things. Uh, oh no! And he's done good. Yeah, he's f- he's, he's had one. good film choices as well, man. Yes. He's done the big films. He's done the credible films. He's he's he's, he's also done it. a couple of ropey ones that he oh, keeps yeah. quiet. There's like one. Uh, it's like uh, I think it's I think it might even have like Vinnie Jones in it or something. Yeah. Um, uh, chasing people on a subway with a meat cleaver. Yeah. It's called like the butcher or something. Yeah. I think I've seen. No, I have seen I that. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's it's. Midnight Meat Train. Yeah, Midnight Meat Train. Midnight Meat Train. Is that why I thought he was a butcher? <laughs> yeah, that must be. It. That was in the day. Like Netflix is all right now, but when it started, it was just like, it's like every, random film. It was just like it was like all the films you'd see outside a garage <laughs> yeah. for fifty p. Yeah, completely. Midnight Meat Train. Completely. What a movie! If I um, if I see him again, I'm going to ask him: Is there a Midnight Meat Train too? He 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 could make that happen. He could make it happen. In he's, he's the man that can do that. So I mean, you you mentioned XFM there. Um, that was where that's the main bit of radio presenting I've heard of, of sure. yours is, is is when you had the breakfast sh- yeah. show there. How do you feel about radio? And how I mean, I know the answer because before we started recording, we were both discussing how much we lo- we love radio. Yeah. But how was that to do a breakfast show and to yeah to to be in that position? I love radio. I, I think it's um, it's the most immediate. The most immediate thing you can you can you can you can say I have it. You can have an idea. And a minute later, you can be doing that idea or, mm. or sharing that idea. Yeah. And you can be incredibly creative. Yeah. Um, and we would try and do the most creative show we could. It was really, really hard work. We were constantly writing. We knew the features that we would be doing, um, but right up to the wire, as the clock on your screen is telling you you've got 10 seconds left of the Foo Fighters, because yeah. it was always the Foo Fighters, yeah. <laughs> um, you were looking around, has everyone, has, you've got your bit, you've done your bit, and then you deliver it, and you just try and make your friends laugh. Yeah. And it was a show where I had people in the studio that I really liked. We all looked at things from slightly different angles, and it would never be one of those sort of Chris Moyles putting people down shows. It yeah. was, we'd take the mickey. My, my rule for... for life for any sort of broadcasting actually is take the mickey but never the piss yeah and you can take the mickey out of your mates but if you take the piss then it's you know it's there's an unpleasant thing to it and and you're putting yourself above them Uh and i wanted to create sort of like this exclusive club that anyone could join you'd feel like you were part of something yeah 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 um and we and we would really really do that and um i loved the listeners uh they were they were so creative and so funny um and the only thing I don't miss is the mornings. Um, <laughs> yeah, damn right. And I by 10 imagine. o'clock, you know, I'd have said everything I wanted to say for the whole day. Yeah. And I'd read the papers before going in. I'd generally turn up about two minutes to six. Yeah. And at six, the red light was on and it'd be first joke. Amazing, you know? yeah. Um, but I'd have a look at all the papers. Um, and that was part of the reason I think I stopped was because I was exposed to every bad news story mm. from lots of different angles every single day. Yeah. And... It made me feel and, the world and, was... And within the first hour yeah, of every single day, like you've up. taken it all in straight away. Yeah, and having That's a kid... I, for the rest of the day now. But I found my, my sleep broken from doing the show. But also, I was a lot more anxious because of just this exposure to media yeah. that I, I probably would have escaped otherwise. Yeah, and it sort of stopped me doing other things. You know, I thought I could do a daily show and write a book. And I realised that I probably could... But the book would take a lot longer, and yeah. I have fewer ideas. Yeah, of course. So, um, so I, think, I had to start. I, I, I thought it was better to go in and do it well. I can be and leave. surprised at how much 
time and planning and effort has to go into a good radio show. Yeah. Again, I think I think I'm I'm not slagging off any radio shows, but I think the 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 beauty, as you've highlighted there, is realizing all the things that you can do rather than th- than thinking of thinking of any restrictions. And uh, and I only found that when I started doing it that I loved the things you can do there that you can't do anywhere else. Essentially, I always remember when um, I started getting into spoken word. I was, ne- I was never into written poetry. I've still n- never really got my head around it. And one of the things that appealed, I had an early spoken word piece that had a bit of beatboxing in, but that was essential to the story. Uh-huh. And my thoughts were, the beauty of this is you can't you can't write it down. This couldn't be a written poem because it has to be expressed um, orally. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a great... I thought I was wonderful. I'd realised that. And then a few years back, my brother was explaining to me why he's not that into spoken word but far more into written poetry. And he was like, his his reason was all the things that you can do on the page that you can't do huh. off the page. Right. And that had never crossed my mind. Yeah. But because of the restrictions and because of the different constructs and and, and rest, of partly the restraints but partly the absolute freedom to to move and have any structure you want yeah. rather than being held to the structure of, of speech mm-hmm. kind of thing... Um, yeah, they're all just it, words. It aren't blew they? me away, and that's ex- exactly the same with. And again, just a, a visual stuff that you can do on the page that that doesn't translate when you're speaking. The the layouts and structures, or certain yeah, yeah, words yeah. Or, or letters being in certain places, yeah. that can do so much and such intricate stuff that if you say it out loud, you miss you lose it, all yeah. of that. Yeah, of um, and that's kind of how I felt with radio was realizing that right, I've not got. Um, the fact that I'm six foot four and I've got a big beard to to to, 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 to use to get things across, or yeah. again the first time we and went, you can't to, just say that. Yeah, no, you can't yeah, just exactly. Yeah. I've, I've not got these <laughs> every these visual things to to fall back on, or you know, um, I've I've always been very relaxed on stage, and I think that's helped me with getting over to audiences because they can see I'm comfortable up there. Yeah, they can't see that on the radio. They can't see anything. All they've got is what's going into their ears yeah. and. Yeah, I loved that of learning that I did on my on my favorite episode of the beatdown. I did a thing where I turned all the music off and I just did a breakdown of 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 Motown acapellas mm-hmm. and rap acapellas and seeing how they mirror either structures or delivery techniques or approaches. Yeah. And XFM allowed me to do like this was a fifteen minute piece with no music. Yeah. Oh, whatsoever on a Saturday night, yeah. <laughs> and just breaking down and going, look how cool this is, and yeah. then this goes like this, and things like that. Again, I think you couldn't do that in a live situation; it wouldn't a work. Again, the the advantage of radio and just audio is you've, I don't know, you it fills you more in their head, yeah, than outside their head. If you know, what yeah, I mean. they, you've then, not, they have to build a lot of it themselves. So the restraints, in a way, are completely removed because it's all in their mind and it's as str- yeah. strong as their imagination can paint it. And even I would find the way that you create a different mood, yeah. almost just by how you use the microphone in front of you. Yeah, it's like you know some people just they stand up and they just shout. But the first hour of my show, I would, I would, I'd always have my my headphones up quite loud because mm. I'd, I'd want to hear what they were hearing. And yeah. so I, I'd talk a lot closer to the mic and a little bit lower and make it a bit more intimate and you know use my voice a bit like that. And then you'll have some star and you want to yeah. create some atmosphere or you want to you know. So it's 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 those little things that you can do as well, which are really it's, really powerful. It instantly makes me think I'm the biggest fan of of John Kennedy. I think he's one of the yeah. greatest broadcasters yeah, great. around, and he's very always 
nice and close on the close mic one. and the most relaxed and laid back despite the fact he's playing some really up tempo or crazy yeah. stuff it will come back and he'll never come back that was or you know yeah. there'll be there there will be variation but it'll generally come back going, that was amazing that, that was the amazing new track and just so yeah, so personal intimate. and intimate yeah. that just yeah that's what's Perfect. great. I mean, there are, there are, you know, you'll run up against troubles in sort of commercial radio, especially yeah. because, you of know, course. there are these phrases, you know, one fault, one link. They'll they'll say that to you a lot. One fault, one link. Yeah. Um, and they go right. What? So I can only have, I can only say one thing in a link. I can only have one yeah. idea in a link that yeah. I want to get across. And that's what they think, but they're wrong. And um, we would do our best to prove that all the time because yeah. we could, you know. I'd sometimes, I think I was told that one thought, one link thing one day, and my reaction was always to try and prove them wrong. Yeah, and yeah. so I did a texter where, you know, it's thrown out a question, but I threw out two questions. And so when you get all the answers back, you're expecting the listeners to keep up. Yeah, because yeah, you, yeah. What someone's, you know, my friend Matt would be reading out the answers to one question we'd posed, and I'd yeah. be doing the others, but we'd mix them. And it gelled, it worked. Yeah. And, it, and people could of course cope with that because we cope with it in, in daily conversation. It's what I, I mean, I love... I love the contrast that we have between commercial radio and the BBC, mm-hmm. es- essentially, because, w- I don't know, I, I'm, for some reason I'm more excited to have creativity and pushing the boundaries on commercial radio, yeah. like the way you, you, you approached your breakfast show and like the way I hoped I approached XFM for a short amount of time, because it kind of feels like, wow, that yeah. that was on commercial like and yeah. on the BBC it feels like they have a duty to have yeah, that kind do, of thing yeah. and it's like so it, it wouldn't and, feel and as special budget, and they've got yeah. a budget to do it exactly you know. it, for some reason it wouldn't feel as special but the fact of doing that on commercial radio even for a year for two years yeah. for six months it's like wow man that's cool that something so a left of centre was allowed to exist in that world, whereas, yeah. as I said, it, it, it feels, uh, with the BBC, as much as I love them, there is a duty for it to be there, yeah. so it, it, it doesn't we, feel we'd as always, exciting. We'd always try to be left of centre, we'd always yeah. try and approach things from a different angle, which was, was was great to do, but also I think it helped that I don't think the bosses were really listening. Yeah. So by the time they did start to listen, it was kind of too late, because it had a following and the people were, you know, joining that, in. Yeah. That was ex- exactly. We, we were allowed to do this one thing, which was I wanted to do an all live show. Yeah. They said I had a meeting with um, his name Andy, who's a lovely fellow, and he was in charge of XFM at the time. And he said, "What do you want to do? Do you want to do a thing, a radio mm. thing? What do you want to do?" And I said, "I'd like to do an all live show, but everything has to be live, right? So um, I have to have a live audience. We're there doing what we would normally do live. Mm-hmm. We'd not put on a show. We do the show. So if we normally play a jingle." The jingles have to be played live by live band. Amazing. If we have uh, adverts, the adverts should all be live, performed live by actors. Awesome. And that that the commercial people then loved it because they could sell an idea, you know. And you know, any music we play has to be performed by the bands that we would normally play, yeah. but live. Yeah. And they did amazing work. They got Stereophonics to be our live band, and Paul Weller turn up, and Miles Kane, and amazing. Got Tim Minchin. I got Ross to come down. Yeah. And so we did this two-hour completely live show. Um, but the challenge was to do what we normally do. Yeah. Because anyone could put on, you just go, right, come down, and oh, now here's a guest. Yeah. But we wanted to stick to Holland what on we the normally radio. do. Yeah. But, but yeah, turn, keeping and, it as... And commercial radio let us do it. It's amazing. But I think that the thinking was they weren't going to let us do another one because it got too much attention. And yeah. They, you know, they, they can make more money just with normal shows, I think. Yeah, completely. And that's, I mean, I had exactly the same, like when I was approached to do the beatdown um, again I was, I was saying before we started this that I had the option of 10pm on Saturday or midnight yeah. and I chose midnight because yeah. of exactly that I was like 
I don't want them to be listening. Yeah. Like, I don't want the they powers be that be yeah. to be to be listening. And, like, yeah. and that's what I think we got away with for so long because we played in the entire just over a year run. I think it was sixty eight shows. We didn't play a single radio edit, a single yeah. clean edit, which is a, a tough thing on commercial radio on any Hugely, radio. Yeah. But because we started off like that, and again we were we're honest about it. It's like right. This is a hip hop show, and yeah. it's also a spoken word show, and there will be topics that are discussed that are harsh, and there will be language that, you know, is it pushes the boundaries a bit, but th- that is is the nature of it. And yeah. yeah, again, but we built our following to the point that you're like, right, it's kind of it's happened now. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you can't, yeah, you can't turn it back. And Chris was great there, Chris, Chris uh, Braun. Yeah. Um, again, on that with uh, within reason, he was always very much well. Let's give it a go. Yeah. And and see what happens. Like obviously within reason, he's not <laughs> devil may care in that manner. But it was it was just quite. I feel this is okay. So yeah. let's you let's need, try you out. Let's you try need someone anyway. Your station who's going to protect you yeah. from uh, you know the people who maybe don't listen to the show, but instead just look at the stats. Yeah. You know they'll be studying graphs and going oh, well. Ideally, you know, um, research has shown that a link should be no more than three minutes, yeah. and they did three minutes, 18 seconds. Yeah. So, you know, you might want to have a word, and you need someone to go, it was a good link. Yeah, Leave them it alone. worked. Yeah. It worked. Well, that's, well, we're over the hour and a half mark now, so I guess we yeah. should start to, to wrap up. And sure. So, so what's, oh, what's ahead for you, and what can people keep an eye out from you, other than a million different things? I, I know you've been doing a lot of stuff in America recently and yep. and working with a lot of different ideas out there. So, yep, so what's ahead? Well, um, I'll wait and see what happens with, with a couple of those. I, I sold a format for an idea. I went into a meeting and, and um, I thought it was about one thing and it turned out to be about something else. And uh, and I came, I came up with an old idea that I had and pitched it and then they... Uh, they bought that, so Amazing. I have to see whether that's something that will go anywhere. And then I've got, um, yeah, like a, they call it a blind deal, where, uh, you know, a company uh, offers you a deal and they say, um, we don't know what the script is going to be, yeah, but uh, it'll be something. So we have, so I've got, a, 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 I've got to write a script this summer. But I don't know what it is. That's <laughs> no one does. Amazingly ex- ex- exciting. Is that right? Is it is it strictly um, a new idea, or have you got access to back? Catalog because um, I, I was talking to I think it was, it was Warren Ellis about this who, who had a similar thing had been signed like we want you to do a series yeah we don't know what it is yet it can either be an original idea or here's our back catalog of stories that I you can like rework that. Yeah. so um, it you know. could, I guess it could be that I think that'll probably be a, like a fallback if I can't yeah. come up with anything that they like yeah then they'll probably go well look you got to write something so here yeah <laughs> uh, it's kind of a exciting single mom I, that's it. I guess it's, it, it's it's lazy of me but things like that become really like. Oh my god! Imagine you know, yeah. I walk in for yeah. I, I know Warren. He he got knocked knocked back for it, but the the company who said this had had Columbo oh. in their back catalogue, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll write Columbo," and they're like, Columbo. within reason, it needs to be something that got <laughs> shelved or didn't work." Whatever he's like, and, yeah. But imagine that just well, that would go be great. Through, file through, right? Um, I've got this idea. Yeah, they've got some room just full of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. this the ideas rooms. Pick one, take your exactly. number. And Maybe it just... comes out like you know when you go to an embassy or something, or, or like you know when they have those ticket machines where you have to yeah. wait to get your passport stamped or something. It'd be just an ideas machine. But again, the the beauty of that would be there's tons of people who come up with great ideas, and I think far fewer people have the ability to then See knuckle down through. and turn that into something great. Yeah, and that's something you've clearly proved. You're you're good at so I'm now well, going to suggest yeah, to yeah. some TV stations to just hire you endlessly <laughs> to write just you know every year we're going to give you've got a load 
we'll pick an idea and you turn it into something <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Well, weirdly, I do do a thing at the BBC like that. I've just come <laughs> amazing, from that where, um, uh, yeah, sort of. They, I've got this weird deal where one day. Uh, a week, I'm supposed to sort of do some ideas for them and come up with things. So I just went and delivered some ideas today. But equally, awesome. it might be that they've got, uh, you know, some new show that they're working that up. That needs direction. Yeah, but uh, it's great guidance. for me because I can just sit there and go, well, here's what I would do, and then leave. Yeah. Um, and it, I can be out of the office and I can walk there. Yeah. And... Uh, spot some more things on the way home that's perfect well i'm gonna allow you to walk home now so (laughs) thank you very much for coming in i mean people can keep up with you on twitter at at danny wallace right how did you manage to get your actual name we're not the real danny wallace or uh, because the the danny Danny wallace Wallace that had it who was a tap dancer in new york (laughs) um got so fed up with getting stuff meant for me (laughs) brilliant he just went look do you want it just take it yeah sick of this (laughs) oh well this whole show is in honour of the tap dancer the in tap New York, dancing Danny, New York Wallace. Danny Wallace. But thank you very much for coming in. And yeah, I look forward to seeing all the things that are ahead. Thank you. Ditto. You've been listening to Scrooge's Pits. Distraction Pieces. That was episode 30 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Mr. Danny Wallace. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to that dude. As as I had suspected um, and been told... He's just got good. He's got stories for days. You know, we could have continued that podcast for hours and hours and hours. And people have said that with the Billy Bragg one, with the Paddy one last week, with the Sarah Pascoe one, with the Alan Moore one, or way back on episode two or three or four or whatever it was. And with the same, with loads of them that they could go on for hours. And some people ask, oh, 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 why they don't? Part of it is that I think attention span. A 60 to 90 minutes is good, you know, space on your phone. I want you all to subscribe to this and have it set to automatic download. That genuinely helps me. I couldn't be doing that to you if I'm putting out three, four-hour podcasts every week and you you suddenly, you can't open an email because your your phone's full up with me talking. Um, But yeah, that's one of the reasons for that. But I've instantly just snuck in a little plug there of asking you to uh, subscribe. It always helps. It really helps us and generally helps us climb the charts and just get more attention. And the more eyes on the podcast, the more um, hopefully potential sponsors I can get on board that will then uh, keep paying for this for you for free. In fact, if you're a potential sponsor, feel free to hit me up. I feel we need some new ones. We've been variating a bit recently, but always good to brighten things up. You can hit me up at scroobiuspipio at hotmail.co.uk. Yes, I am that guy that's still on Hotmail. And I've got two or three Hotmail accounts, motherfuckers. I'm keeping Hotmail afloat. Um, so, so, yeah, if you have a company or business and want to reach my uh, wonderful and loving audience, who at the beginning of the podcast I've told you skip through the adverts quite a bit. Um, but anyway, that's a bad, a bad marketing push. But anyway, that's, you know, get in touch, drop me a line, give me your money. Um, we're at the end. I want to ask you all to share this with your friends and with your f- family. In fact, even not that, if you've enjoyed this one, you might enjoy the Rufus Hound one, as I mentioned. You might enjoy uh, the Simon Pegg one. Um, more people are along that kind of line with comedians. Josie Long, that was a really interesting one. I've mentioned Sarah Pascoe. So, yeah, kind of have a delve through the back catalogue and see what you like. And if you find ones you particularly like, try and think of what people 
you know would also enjoy that and share it with them. I know people say that all the time and you hear it and you don't actually do it because I've been that guy as well. But it really, imagine if every one of you each week shared it with one more person who then shared it with more people each week. I would eventually have more power than the BBC. Um, And if I wanted to, I could employ Jeremy Clarkson and just sit him on the side. Just, you know, just leave him on the bench. Um, So, so yeah, if you can share this, it really means a lot. But until next week, my name is Scroobius Pip and this is the Distraction Pieces podcast. (laughs) 